Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. You guys are always kind to me, and I love it. It's so good to be back here. It's like low 80s in California. I'm so stinking grateful. I'm in such a good mood this morning. You guys are in trouble. I prayed myself happy this morning. I, wasn't, I kept thinking I was late to church because there's only one service right now, and I was freaking out. So I got some extra time, so you guys are in trouble, and then the band just sang me incredibly happy, right? Like, how beautiful. Like, and I was thinking, especially that last song we sang, like, that just encapsulates the whole message that God put on my heart for you guys uh, today. And so, can we, just rem- can we just posture our hearts before we get into the best news on planet Earth? I was just reminded this morning in the book of Psalms where, where King David just, he's, he's like me, he's having a moment, he's in all his fills, he's feeling incredible, and he just says this, he just says, I will, it doesn't matter what's going on, I will bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I will bless the Lord, oh my soul, and then he says this, forget not all of his benefits. He says, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion. I like this one too. He says, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth may be renewed like the eagle. I get to literally, you guys know this, I'm never gonna quit saying it before I preach. I literally have the best job on planet earth. I get to give up here I get to get up here and brag on Jesus week after week after week. And I just am so beyond grateful. So can we just do this? Can we just take this moment to the Lord? I'm just gonna pray real fast and give our hearts and minds over to him. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now we would worship you by how we listen, that we would lean in with our hearts, God, that our hearts would be soft to the work of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, more than anything, I just so want you to be amplified and lifted up in this room, that we walk out of these doors with strength. We walk out of these doors with courage maybe we didn't walk in with. We walk out of these doors fear-free. We walk out of these doors with healthy and whole hearts and strong minds and strong bodies. Holy Spirit, have your way in this service and do whatever it is you would do. We pray this, Jesus, in your awesome name. And everyone said... Amen. So uh, several years ago, I was uh, at a hotel in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, uh, because I was there to preach the pregame service. And don't judge me for this. I was there to preach the pregame service for the Green Bay Packers. Now, I'll just get it out right away. I am a diehard from birth 49ers fan, grew up in the Bay Area. uh, And so I know what you're thinking. Why would you ever go to enemy territory like that? Like what good could possibly come out of Green Bay? But I had the best news on planet Earth. And even those evil Packers deserve the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So when they called, I answered. And plus, if it's football and Jesus and they're combined, I'm, the, I'm a kid and can't, I'm the happiest person on planet Earth. So of course I'm gonna go and do that. And I got to the chapel and uh, I didn't have any clue what, I mean, what do you say to a bunch of guys playing a boys game and making millions of dollars for it, right? What, do you, what good news are you supposed to go tell those guys? And so I was a little nervous, but then I just started talking to God about it. I'm like, God, help me get in their hearts. Help me get in their minds. Help me get in their world. And Jesus gave me the, text that we're going to talk from today. This is one of the top five verses for me in all of scripture. This is one of the most literal, beautiful things that ever came out of the mouth of Jesus because of its implications. And so I just, with them, I just started preaching through this verse we're going to look at today. And it was interesting when it started because I stand up and I just say hello and I say hi to everyone and thank you for having me. And on the front row, like like most of the guys were sitting further, on the front row was this future Hall of Famer by the name of Clay Matthews and his hair's down to here. And the whole time I'm talking, he's laying back like this in his seat. His arms are 
crossed. He's literally got the most gigantic neck in the history of the world. He's just looking at me like, well, don't waste my time, bro. And I'm, you know, and then Coach Mike, this was Mike McCarthy. Uh, I think that was the year he got fired from there. And so I did an awesome job preaching, apparently. And he's sitting over there like a coach with his arm on his leg, like, you better have something for me today, son, right? I got plenty of things to do right now. And then I look over to my left, and Jordy Nelson, I kid you not, and Randall Cobb are laughing and talking the whole time I'm talking, not paying an ounce of attention. So I'm starting to get into my head. But then all of a sudden, I started to read from what we're gonna read from. And it was so interesting to all of a sudden, by the end of what I read, watch all of their postures change. All of a sudden, the room was silent. This is Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Most of you have been in church very long or read your scriptures very much. Uh, you'll all know this. But I'm gonna read, just to mix it up, I'm gonna read from something so poetic and beautiful. I'm gonna read from a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. Hear Jesus saying this today. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come on, let's have church, let's be real. He says, come to me. Greatest invitation in the history of the world, right there. He says, come to me, get away with me. Man, as a pastor, I want this for everyone in this room so badly. He says, you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He says, walk with me. Isn't that interesting? You'll, you'll never see Jesus in any of the gospels running. The average human walks at three miles per hour, the scientists tell us. That's the average human pace of our strides, of our walks. Jesus lived the life of walking three miles an hour. The guy was never in a hurry to get anywhere, and yet in such a short life lived, just a little over three decades, he did more than all of us in this room combined. He says, if you walk with me, and work with me. If you watch and learn how I do it, he says this, I love this phrase, learn the unforced, God doesn't force things on people. That's called abuse, right? He says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Jesus says this, hear this today, Hills Church, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Just keep company with me and you will learn to live, and I love these two words and I'm on forever a pursuit after this, you will live freely, and you will live lightly. So I've titled today's message the same as I titled it back then, uh, Light Soul, Light Feet. Light Soul, Light Feet. I wanna do this, I wanna read it from an actual, more literal translation, the one that you guys would be much more familiar with because it's important what's said in this. So here's, now, we, we read the paraphrase, now here's what Jesus more literally said in our English translation. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I have a hunch that's some of you and some of your stories in here right now, and that's okay. It's one of the cycles of life. He says, I will give you rest. We serve a God of rest, a God who takes rest profoundly profoundly seriously. And then he says something that we'll camp on for the rest of my time. He says, take my yoke upon you. Everybody say yoke real fast. Want to make sure you're with me. We're going to camp on that. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? I'm gentle. Hear the heart of God today, Hills Church. Hear the character and the nature of God. This is Jesus. He's not being cocky. He's not being arrogant. He's just being truthful. He says, you will meet nobody who is more gentle than I am. You will meet nobody who has more of a humble heart than I will. In other words, I'm asking you to follow me, but I'm also trying to tell you from my life that you can trust me. 
He says, you will find rest for your souls. And then he doubles down on what we talked about earlier, the yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when Jesus says that word yoke, it's a little interesting for us because that's not a common term. It's not a common theme. It's not something in a non-agrarian society and world that we live in now. It's not something that we think about very often. But back then when he said that instantly, and it was a predominantly Jewish audience that he would have been preaching to here in Matthew chapter 11, they would have instantly knew exactly what he was talking about because the yoke was one of the most important pieces of technology that was ever invented in the ancient world. Now, we wouldn't think about that. Think of, just do this for a minute. Think about modern technology. Just for a second, tell your neighbor, what do you think in the last 50 years is, uh, in your opinion, the single most significant piece of technology that has been created in the last 50 years? Tell your neighbor real fast. Go ahead. I'd kill to hear what you guys are saying. I'll give you mine, and I'm sure I'm with a bunch of the majority in the room. This thing right here, 2005, when the iPhone, which would later become from all companies, the smartphone, when this thing came out, can we not agree it literally and fundamentally changed the face of the globe and how we do things? I mean, I could go on a rant forever about how many things this thing has changed. I Googled this week how many organs are in the human body, and Google was fighting between 78 and 79. I guess doctors can't agree. I don't care as long as mine are working, but... Um, that's it. But uh, let's just call it 79. I would then argue back with Google. No, I think there's now officially 80 organs in the human body because when this thing is detached from my hand, I'm not the same person. If you think I'm being dramatic, lose your iPhone today and watch how you act. And by the way, if someone loses it today, your other family members film it just to remind them like how neurotic and crazy we can get. I remember uh, several months ago, my iPhone fell off of a roller coaster when I was with my family in San Antonio and it was done and I had to, uh, spend, because we were out of town, I couldn't get a new iPhone for 48 hours, y'all. I was a hot mess. I wasn't myself, I barely spoke and I speak for a living. Like my fam, there was just something different. Like if you don't think this thing is the 80th organ, go ahead and lose it for a couple days and see how crazy you get, right? It's hard to live without this thing. This is an incredible piece of technology and all technology is the same. I talked about this a little bit a few months ago when I brought the microwave and the crock pot up on stage, right? This is, this is how we monetize technology is it's always offering human beings more what? This sacred thing called margin. It streamlines things. It makes things more efficient so that we have time to do things. So let's go back to this thing that Jesus mentioned when he said, my yoke, my yoke is easy. This would have instantly had a twofold meaning in the ancient Jewish culture. In first century Judea, number one, it would have been a practical piece, an invention, a piece of technology. But then number two, it had a slang term behind it. It had a metaphorical meaning behind it. Let's talk first about the literal piece of technology, the yoke. For everyone back then, Hills Church was a farmer. Even if you were in a different trade, had a different career, if you were a silversmith, you still had to go home and if your family wanted to eat, there was some degree of land that you had to plow, right? But before the yoke was invented, everybody was doing this to till the land. They were either just using their hands or eventually they created this thing called the till, but you still had to use the full force of your strength to till through the hardened ground so that you could start to put seed down and get it ready for harvest time so that you and your family could eat. But then all of a sudden, because humans have these God-ordained brilliant minds, somebody came up with this contraption called the yoke. 
And you guys know what a yoke is. Most of you probably at least know what it is. It's this contraption they built where they would literally be able to yoke not one, but two oxen together and then hook that up to the plow that just before this was invented, keep in mind, everyone had to push in order to break up the soil so that they could feed their family. It was difficult. It was arduous work. But now all of a sudden, instead of you doing all the difficult and arduous work, you've got some of the strongest animals on planet Earth that are submitting to you because you have put this yoke around their neck. Just imagine for a minute you having to plow a bunch of ground so that you can feed your family. Now imagine this invention that comes along where there's two oxen that's doing all of the work and all you ultimately have to do is just walk behind it. Keep it in the line that, that you want it to go. That is an incredible thing because you know what happened now? It's what technology always does. Now all of a sudden in this agrarian culture in first century uh, Judea, everyone could plow, this is good news y'all, more ground, less time, and this is my favorite part, energy left over. You plow more ground in less time and now you have energy and this sacred thing called margin to do other better things left over. This was the beauty of the yoke, but then there was a second meaning for the yoke. This was the more metaphorical one, but everyone listening to Jesus's invitation that we just read would have instantly understood what he was talking about. Yoke was a slang term in the Jewish culture in first century for the, for the heat that the rabbi would put on you in temple. It was the degree of uh, of how much strain that the rabbis would put on people in their, in their temples. And every rabbi had a different degree of yoke, right? It's just like if you went to churches all over America, you could listen to pastors and they would all, even if they're preaching the same truths, they would come at it with a different personality. They would come at it with a different force. They would come at it with a, a different posture and angle that, that we would call this a, a yoke. And so they would talk amongst themselves in the Jewish culture about the different rabbis and the different temples. And you know what the, the lay person like you guys would do? They would sit there and talk about, hey, what kind of yoke does your rabbi put on you? What kind of pressure from the Torah does your rabbi put on you? And by first century, we know, because Jesus confronts the Pharisees about this, they not only were preaching the yoke of the, the Torah, but they were starting to make up their own rules and amend them and add them to the Torah as if it wasn't already not only hard enough, but I would go as far as to say impossible. And so imagine when Jesus is preaching to these people and he's at this point known as a rabbi, technically, he says, hey, come to me, leave your temple, leave your rabbi. And I know that sounds horrible, but, but Jesus is saying, because the yoke that they are putting on you is never going to give you what the human heart desires. I came to bring you not only an easy yoke with a light burden attached to it, but my yoke is fundamentally different. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, do you know what he's actually announcing? He's not just saying, hey, I'm the nice rabbi. I'm the seeker sensitive rabbi. I'll make it easy on, I'll make it palatable. I'll, 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 I'll water down, if you will, those terms we like to use in the modern church world. I'm gonna water down the law so much that it's actually palatable and doable for you so you don't have to quit feeling so bad all the time and we don't have to quit slaughtering all these animals and, and all of this stuff, this neurotic behavior that comes with religious activity. What Jesus says when he says, my yoke is easy, he's actually pronouncing the gospel. And, and some of them would have had very gracious rabbis 
that did try their best to make the law, the Torah, palatable. But at the end of the day, no matter how kind and how easy a rabbi's yoke was, it was still this. It was still preaching and teaching the law, not the gospel. And we're gonna see in these next few minutes, the law is a gift from God. The law is a beautiful thing from God, but here's what it was never intended to be. It was never intended to be a source of salvation. You understand that? So when Jesus comes, he's going, hey, I love your rabbis. I'm gonna die on a cross for your rabbis. I appreciate how serious and holy your rabbis approaches to the Torah because what they didn't know that we now know in retrospect, Jesus was the author of the Torah. He wouldn't hate something or speak bad of something that he created. He just wouldn't do that. But when, when he's talking about a yoke, it's completely different because he's starting to pronounce the gospel. So let's do this. Let's just go to class for just a few minutes. It's very important as believers that we understand the biblical distinction between the law and the gospel. We do not forsake either of them, but we keep them in their new covenant, New Testament place according to what the word of God tells us. So a quick flyover review of the law. When God created man, starting with Adam and Eve, how many laws were there? Uno, wouldn't that be, doesn't that just sound nice? Doesn't that just already sound easy? Easy yoke, light burden. Why? That's God's original intent. You gotta remember that. Law is a thing from God. Before sin ever entered the world, God gave a law, right? He said, you are free. He starts with freedom, though. You are free to eat from any tree that is in the garden, comma, but you must not what? Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for surely as you eat of it, you will what? Die. So there is only one law. You want to talk about a free life, and then here's the deal. We couldn't even get that right. I don't know what it is in us. I'm not gonna try and overthink it, but here's what we know from the foundations of the world. There's something in us that is just prone to the things we're told not to do, right? And then we always forget there's also a spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. That serpent was talking a mean game to Adam and Eve when they bit into that fruit. So give yourself some grace. You wake every, up every day and there is an enemy of your soul that wants to destroy your soul any chance you give him. So, so, so give yourself some grace today. We started with one rule. Then they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden for breaking that rule. And then all of a sudden, things start going real bad real fast. I mean, the first family, Adam and Eve's first two sons, one of them murdered the other one. That's, that's, that's the power of sin, right? It just gets chaotic. And so eventually what God does in his kindness is he gives his people 10 laws. And come on, most of you in here, whether you go to church or not, you know the 10 commandments to some degree, right? And these laws are God-ordained and they're divine and these laws are beautiful and for the good of people. But I want you to remember this. God knew in advance when he would keep adding law after law that we would never have the capacity in holiness to really obey those laws. They're still true. Those laws are still gracious. They're still right. Like think how holy and think of how peaceful this world would be right now if we could all live up to the 10 commandments, every tribe, every nation, every country. If just those 10 commandments alone, we could live up to those, this world would be being healed right now. But then here's what ironically happens when he goes from one law to 10 laws, everything gets worse. <laughs> this should be telling us something about the law. 
So what's he do? Eventually on Sinai with Moses and everything, he, he gives us what's called the Mosaic law, right? And you know how many laws there are now to counteract how much sin has entered the world? 613 more laws. You getting tired yet? This is, this is impossible, right? 630 and every one of those 613 are holy, they are divine, and they are gracious because they are authored by God and God never does anything arbitrarily, right? Then by first century, as I said earlier, the rabbis now and the Pharisees and Sadducees are taking those 613 sacred laws and they're adding all kinds of tedious stipulations to them. And they're not doing it because they love people and want to protect their people as pastors and shepherds. They're doing it because they want to make it harder and harder because they knew nobody could outbay them. And the more harder they made it, the better they looked and they could achieve more power and fame and finance. And so Jesus, as you guys always see in the Gospels, he has these most stringent words for who? The lawgivers, the law keepers the lawmakers, and then when Jesus comes and starts to pronounce his gospel, what's he say about the new law? How's it gonna work now? What's he doing? He's bringing reconciliation. He's back. He's bringing God's original intent back, and so instead of 613, Jesus says there's just two laws that matter, and if the world abided by these two laws, again, we would have complete shalom on planet earth. He says, if number one, you will give and dedicate your life to loving God, Yahweh, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your body, and then in return, just naturally as you fall more and more in love with Jesus for the glory of God, watch how you start to treat your neighbor. Watch the, 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 the kindness, watch the gentleness, watch the beauty. Watch the forgiveness. Watch the tenderness with which your soul starts to treat your neighbor. He goes, if those two laws are fulfilled, every other law is fulfilled. But he even knew on our best day, we still couldn't do that. And so how do we look at the law, Hills Church, in light of the fact that we're new covenant people? Well, we don't fully ignore it, although Jesus has fulfilled it. Here's how I know. The Apostle Paul, one of our first pastors, Listen to his authority, not mine. He says this in 1 Timothy chapter one, and I believe verse eight, he says, for we know Hills Church, the law is good if what? If one uses it properly. So the question, as we're working through the law so that we can get to the best news on planet, the gospel, I just wanna remind you of this. How do we use it properly? Every law you read in scripture, whether you get it or not, whether it makes sense or not, whether it seems relevant to 2023 America or not, you can find the divinity of God and the holiness of God in every single command and law that he has ever given. And he's always given them for the good of people. It's always his laws to mirror and bring us back to what his original intent was in Eden, okay? Now, that said, the law's ultimate goal, hear this please, when God revealed it was not, hear me when I say that, was not to make a rebellious and stubborn people a little bit better. The law was given to reveal to humanity that we are dead in our transgressions. That is the ultimate working and purpose of the law. I wrote in my notes and we can put it up here. The law was not given to resuscitate the human heart. It was given to pronounce it dead. The law of God is not a health plan. It's a coroner's report. You understand that? 
Don't take my word for it. I'm just Chad. Let's go back to, again, one of our apostles, Paul. In Romans 5.20, as he's preaching the gospel, he says this about the law. Now the law came to do what? Make everyone a little bit better? Have God a little less ticked at us? No, no, no. The law came to increase or reveal what? Our trespasses, our sins. But then he gets some real good news. He says, but, but just know this, this, this law that Paul's telling us right here is as real as the law of gravity. He says, where sin increased though, grace abounded all the much more. So let me in my own terms try and explain to us the purpose of the law when we use it correctly. Let's talk about some more important technology in the modern world. I'll talk about the medicine field this time uh, several years ago. And again, you can Google it for all the information I'll leave out. But, but decades ago, somebody who's really brilliant came up with this thing called the x-ray machine. You wanna talk about a medical gift from God. And then after that came this thing called the CAT scan. And then you wanna take it to a whole new level of imaging. Then we got this thing called the MRI. And those are completely beautiful gifts from God that has used, he's used the human brains to come up with this stuff because now we have the most precise, three-dimensional imaging of the human body. Why? To diagnose. But we have to remember it is still at the end of the day a diagnostic thing, an X-ray or an MRI machine or a CAT scan, Right? And that is a gift from God to have a diagnostic thing to help the physicians know what kind of plan and treatment that needs to happen to bring healing to someone. But it has zero capacity to heal anyone. All it can do is reveal where the cancer is. And that is a gift of God. See, this is why we don't just, just ignore the law because we're new covenant people. This is why we don't give glory and honor to God for giving us all of his laws, Old Testament and new throughout time. They're always to heal people. But what Paul and the whole word of God teaches us is the ultimate goal of the law wasn't to try and bump you up on the spectrum of good. It was to pronounce you dead. It was to give you pictures, a literal imaging picture, the Old Testament law, to show a people that your dependence cannot be on some type of medicine. It has to be on a miracle. You don't need a little bit of medicine, planet Earth. You need a miracle, and this miracle is gonna come via this Messiah. The ultimate purpose of God's rules and regulations to a fallen world was to say, listen, Hills Church, what I ultimately want you to see with my rules is that on your absolute best day of pious living, you do not have in your own strength and in your own flesh the capacity to even get remotely close to the holiness I originally intended for you, so you better start looking for something else because it is not the law that is gonna get you there. It is not you out. So what do we humans do? Christians, let, let's own our own selves right now. What do we do when we just start getting a little bit more sanctified? Isn't it so tempting to start getting a little cocky and self-righteous? That's why I love that song that Zach was singing. May I never boast in anything but in Jesus Christ. I, I wish we could have sang that for five or 10 minutes over and over and over until it was just in our spirits. May we never boast in anything. We are saved by grace through faith, Paul said. It is a gift from God. It is not by what? Any works of the law so that what? No man can boast. We have nothing to stand on except the absolute messianic miracle of Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And listen to me, that is enough. 
That's why Jesus' yoke is so easy. He says, take the pressure off yourself. Yeah, take my command serious. But here's why. Not so you can impress God or impress people. Take them serious because every command I give is to bring health and life and wholeness and freedom. It's not to hold you down. It's to move you forward. But if you're ever gonna do any of that, it has to be behind me. You have to just get behind me. Let me do the heavy lifting. Let the cross of Jesus Christ do the heavy. The cross of Jesus Christ in this metaphor was the oxen that did all the heavy plowing. And Jesus says, here's your participation. Just hold on to the plow and start walking three miles an hour. You don't even have to run. The ox is gonna do all of the heavy lifting and all of the work. So Paul says that the law came to reveal the trespass. And then here's what's interesting. And then I'll, I'll land this plane. We'll get to the really good news, the gospel, but we gotta talk law first. Do you remember when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount? He gives a, a really profound intro with what we call the Beatitudes, and it's just, just beautiful. And then he starts going into the Old Testament laws, that, some of the big ones that were incredibly familiar. Everyone had these memorized. Everyone knew these from, from the time they were babies. He, he's, he does this. The, the, the lawgiver starts to add his own amendments. He's like, if the Pharisees can do it, I'll do it. I authored them. I have copyrights over this. I can do whatever I want with this story. So he says this, you can read it in Matthew 6. He starts saying stuff like this. You've heard it said, right? But then he says, but I tell you. He goes, let, let me give you one. He goes, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. He goes to one of the big 10. So everyone there knew. Even the Gentiles in the crowd would have heard, heard that one from the Torah, right? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And then you know what he does with the law? Makes it way harder. Why? Because it's not there to save you. It's there to reveal the trespass. He goes, but I tell you the truth. If you even look lustfully at a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. <laughs> Can you imagine what everyone there felt? Everyone that was so proud of themselves, well, I've never cheated on my wife, but Bob has. And I'm like, you know, I'm leaning into that because that makes me feel a little bit better about myself. We don't get along that well and we're just staying together for the kids, but at least I haven't committed adultery like Bob. Right, that's what the human heart, like that was dumb, sorry, whatever. <laughs> it's my little, my little rant. You know what I'm saying, though? He says, but I, no, 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 no. He goes, let's, let's take this law thing. Do you want to really get to God's original intent? He never even intended you to have lustful thoughts, inappropriate thoughts towards a person of another sex that you're not in covenant with. How are you doing with that, gentlemen? <laughs> it's quiet. I'm a lawbreaker. I'm not going to get up here and act like a Mr. Amazing Pastor. I still have those moments. Jesus doubled down again. He said, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. Everyone would have been like, of course not. That's like the worst thing on planet earth. Next to no one in that crowd at that point, I imagine just like this church had committed murder before. So they're probably going, yeah, let me, yeah, I got that law down. He goes, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. If you have even any hate in your heart towards your brother, you are already a murderer. Then they're all in trouble, right? All in trouble. He says, he starts to quote more Old Testament Torah. He says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And now everyone's excited because we love justice, right? Let's talk about the justice of God. Yeah, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is when the human flesh and heart starts to get excited. And Jesus goes, I tell you this, you ready for this one? Love your enemy. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you. On the surface, could anything seem less unjust? To pray for your enemy? To bless those who persecute you? Are you kidding me right now? 
Do you see what Jesus is doing with the law? He's going, he's trying to pronounce them. Look, if you want to play the law game that's so sacred to you, if you want to put your hope and trust in a Torah, in, in some, some words that were written on stone, go ahead. But listen to me, it's just going to make your heart look like the Torah. It's going to be stone. I didn't come to write things on stone anymore. I came through the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection to now have these laws placed on your heart where it'll actually start making a big difference, where there'll actually start to be some power in it. Because once it comes from your heart instead of just your intellect and your religion, all of a sudden it's a game changer. All of a sudden you will start to live freer. You will start to live lighter. That heavy burden in life will start to dissipate over time when you're putting all of your hope and all of your trust in Jesus Christ. And so can I just do this as I got my last few minutes? Can I just not give you my commentary anymore? Can I just read from the word of God? And let me give you some homework if some of you are uh, gonna take me up on it. Perhaps the shortest, best, you can do this in 30 minutes tomorrow or break it up a chapter a day. Commit to reading the book of Galatians this week. It's a super short letter, and it is perhaps in its short, it's like the Cliff Notes of Romans. I'm a Cliff Notes guy. I barely graduated high school, dropped out of college. I like me some Cliff Notes. This is why I love Galatians when I don't got time for Romans, okay? It will, it will, it will bless your heart so much because all Paul is talking about is freedom, lightness, the removal of burden, and what's he do to get people there? He just, keeps, he just keeps distinguishing between law and gospel. Let me just read from, again, the message paraphrase, uh, the, the gospel. This is Galatians chapter two. This is six verses. Listen to what Paul says, and as, as he says this, I just want you to see if your hearts can start to relate. This is one of the chief pastors of the early church. This is one of the single most important human beings, the Apostle Paul, to ever get used in God's meta-narrative, God's story. I love his honesty here. He's so unafraid as he tells on himself. He's so unafraid as he talks real with them. Why? Because he has just fully put his hope in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Listen to what he says. This is a free man right here. He says, we, we Jews knew that we have no advantage have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners, the Gentiles. He says, we know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping. Take a deep breath. Soak that in. I'm not gonna read this fast. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. And we have the best system of rules that the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. I'm gonna read that again. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. We believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. We have some, or have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? <laughs> no great surprise, right? And are you ready then to make the accusation that since people like me who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous, that Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? He says that accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to quote unquote be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a pretender. What actually took place is this, Paul says, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God. Any of you ever been there before? We won't tell on each other, but I bet some of us might be there right now. 
I've tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it just didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. I love this. My ego is no longer central. He says, my ego is not my amigo. Just seeing if you're listening. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before. Oh, this is so freeing. God, give me this posture. I want this so badly more and more in my life. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm not going back on that. And then he wraps it up by saying, is it not clear to you that to go back on, back to that old rule keeping, peer pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse, and so should you, Hills Church. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. He says this, if, living, if a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Christ does nothing unnecessarily. You understand that? God does zero things arbitrarily. And I just wanted to come back to you guys and just get back to the pure gospel this weekend. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let that free your soul today. We are all here. We are all breathing. We are here living. We are here capable. Every blessing we have in this life is because its author came down to us while the world was trying to climb back up to him. This is how loved you are by God. This is how much the creator of the universe cares about you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's probably not thrilled with many things we're all doing in this room that don't line up with his original intent for us, but he loves you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died, right? That's Romans six, that's part of the gospel. While you were neck deep in your sin, as I quoted earlier in Psalms, Christ redeemed you from the pit and crowned you and me with love and compassion. Jesus isn't the one trying to make this thing difficult. He's trying to make it easy. He came and did all of the plowing for your field to be fruitful. He's the oxen. And all he asks you to do is say, follow me, work with me. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. I wanna do for you what the yoke did for a bunch of farmers in first century. I want you to plow some ground faster and plow more ground and when you do it my way, you can actually not get destroyed in the process. Doesn't that sound nice? And listen, you may call me naive, you may call me crazy, but I have just found when I am simply waking up each day and just trying with authenticity and generosity of spirit to follow Jesus, there is a lightness to my soul that has nothing to do with circumstances, but everything to do with his spirit alive on the inside of me. 
And that is for every single one of us. Jesus never promised us an easy life. Make no mistake about it. He did promise us an easy yoke though. And yoke is a soul word, not a circumstance word. You understand that? He says, look, all kinds of hell is gonna break loose around you in your life sometimes. You're gonna walk through some of the darkest valleys of the shadow of death in this lifetime, but make no mistake about it, you do not have to forfeit everything I came and paid for on the cross to have. The Bible tells us, we know this, but let me just reaffirm it, especially if you're not a believer in here. The Bible tells us that when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, when you, as Roman says, call on the name of the Lord and ask him to, for, you, you, you recognize that you're a lawbreaker. And if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just tell you some really bad news so I can really invite you into some good news? You're a lawbreaker. You know how I know that? Everyone in this room was or is a lawbreaker. It's the most unifying thing we share in this room. Romans 3, 23 and 24, for all of us in this room. So now we don't have to boast in anything but Jesus Christ and his awesomeness because all of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and can be justified, here's the good news, freely, why? By the grace and redemption of Jesus Christ, not from Torah hoop jumping a little better. Not from trying to work the law a little smoother in your life. Not from bumping up on the spectrum a little bit more each year with, with your New Year's convictions and stuff like that. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's me and my work on the cross plus nothing. And listen to me, the work is finished. All we have to do now is wake up every day and keep receiving it and then just walk behind the plow of Christ. Walk behind the yoke of Christ because his yoke will make it easy. His burden will be light. This world won't be easy, so why would you wanna try and not make God easy and light? It's what he came to restore back to you. I've never met a man who's even came close. I have an amazing father and my father hasn't come close to bringing me ease and lightness that Jesus has in my relationship with him as my heavenly father. You all deserve that. Every one of you in here deserves that. So my hope today was twofold. My hope today was number one, a bunch of us who have long since put our faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've done this Jesus thing for a real long time. My hope and prayer would that we would just be so recalibrated back to the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That it would trump your anxiety. Not be dismissive of it, but just bigger than that. Trump your depression. Again, not be dismissive of it, but be bigger than that. Trump your worries, your fears that you walked in with, your hurts, your pains. And you just be reminded, man, this world's hard, but it's not because Jesus is trying to make it harder on us. He came to do the exact opposite when religion all over the world was trying to make it so hard and impossible for everyone. Jesus said, I, I will have no more of it because it's not the gateway to healing and health. It is an act of faith receiving that I have finished the work. I showed you this before probably, but that's the only tattoo I possess. And it just says finished. I just put it right there so every day I could look at it and remind my stubborn, rebellious, sometimes self-righteous self that it's all done now. Everything I need for life and godliness is complete and it has been given to me and all I have to do, I don't have to push the plow, I just gotta walk behind it. Jesus has got it. And that's where I find any kind of rest for my soul 
And that's what Jesus wants for you. He, you heard it in the invitation, rest for your soul. But then secondly, there's some of you in here, it might be one, it might be 20, I don't know, it doesn't matter. But this is what I got most fired up about when I was on the plane coming from Colorado to here, I was, I was, getting, I was getting fired up going through my notes because I was like, God's gonna save some souls today. God's gonna see some people cross over from death to life today that are in this room. Some of you came in here, you've never received the saving work of Jesus, but today's the day where you're starting to realize, yeah, just like everyone else in here, I'm a lawbreaker. And I'm tired of trying to get a little bit better every January 1st. I'm tired of trying to spend all my energy bumping up on, on the spectrum of goodness, hoping that this unseen God might see fit to, to bless me for doing some, some things better. No, 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 it's exhausting, it's religious. I didn't come here to offer you that. I came here to offer you what Jesus said. He would fill you with streams of living water. Streams of living water would flow out of you. Peace, love, joy, goodness, that's what he offers. He's gonna put his spirit on the inside of you and it's gonna, bring, it's gonna bring love and joy and peace and more patience and more goodness and more kindness, more gentleness, more faithfulness, more self-control. And we usually stop the verse in Galatians 5 after that. But you know what Paul says right after that? He says, against such things there is no law. So take your pick. You want rules, regs, or fruit of the spirit living in you? Rules and regs has never led me to wanna to live more consecrated and holy. You know what's fueled my fire to wanna to live more holy and consecrated before God? His gift of peace, his gift of joy, him making a stubborn, competitive dude a little more gentle, him continuing to teach me what faithfulness looks like, him and his kindness giving me the power to be a little more self-controlled than I, I was, and over time, you, you find yourself, when, when, when those fruits are coming alive, you find yourself plowing more ground in less time and you actually don't get destroyed in the process. We all deserve that, but if you're in here, I, I've said more than my piece. Sorry, I get so excited about the gospel. Land the plane, Chad, right now. With every head bowed out of a kindness and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you say, Chad, I've never received the saving work of Jesus, but I'm ready because I'm willing to call myself a lawbreaker. I'm willing to confess my sins. And remember what I told you earlier, all who confess their sins and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, Paul says in Romans, you shall be saved. You shall receive the gift of not only eternal life forever, but Jesus flowing through you powerfully now. You say, I wanna confess, yes, I am a sinner and I am at the absolute need of Jesus's grace. I need a Messiah because I finally realize I cannot save myself. If that is you right now, again, when the Bible says, when you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. So let's do that right now. Let, let's, uh, by show of hands, just as an act of faith, there's nothing magic about raising your hand. It's just an act of faith. It's a step of saying, would you pray for me, Chad? Can, I, I, wanna, I wanna receive the saving work of Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just put your hand up right now? Be proud of it. This is the best day of my life. I'm celebrating you. There's hands all over the place right now. I am celebrating. Right now, the Bible says you are crossing over from death to life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin, the one you're calling on right now, he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. As you're making your confession of faith and confessing your sins and calling out to your savior, here's what's happening right now. Whether you feel it or not, you are being made 
made completely and wholly righteous. You have an eternity in the presence and the pleasure of God promised to you forever. And not only that, but you now have the spirit of Christ alive and well being filled with you on the inside so that you can walk out of these doors with new degrees of peace and joy, courage, trust. Hills Church, this is the most, we do so many important things here, but this is the single most important thing that happens at this church. And there were so many people by God's grace today that today was their day for salvation. So can you guys just welcome them into the family of God with me? We celebrate you. We celebrate you. I did my best. Jesus, it's in your hands. It's for your glory that all of this has been pronounced until we meet again next week. We are about to do something so beautiful before we walk out of here. And I'm gonna have Pastor Matt come up. And I, I'm, not, I'm not in charge, but how awesome would it be if we could sing that song again during communion? I don't, am I? Oh, the band's not even out here. Hold on, let me warm, let me warm up. Nobody wants that. Matt, I love you. Hey, yeah. for Pastor Chad. I love you guys. Yes. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.